You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. Welcome, South Bay Church. Welcome to everybody also who is tuning into our live stream this morning. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning uh, to worship God together. My name is Dave Atkins, and I have the uh, honor of bringing you the lesson today. Hope everybody's doing well out there as we go through this difficult time. I hope everybody's staying healthy and uh, and uh, staying home. And we are always praying for everybody to uh, be safe. Um, hopefully things are going well. Um, on a personal level, my current struggle is with my hair. <laughs> uh, I haven't been able to go out and get a haircut. And the longer my hair gets, the more it drives me crazy. But... If that's my biggest hardship, then I really have nothing to complain about, right? Uh, we've been doing a uh, sermon series entitled Of Greater Worth Than Gold. And all of our lessons are coming out of the book of 1 Peter. And last week, uh, Steve gave us, a great, gave us a great lesson on Easter out of the first half of 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2. And today I'm going to be looking at the second half of the, of, uh, the second chapter of 1 Peter. And it's going to be covering an area that may be a little possible controversy. So uh, here we go. Let's give it a start. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 13. It says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. So what is he talking about here? Uh, he's really talking about respect and submitting to governmental authorities is one of the main themes in this passage respect for authority. You know, Paul also talks about this same topic in Romans chapter 13, and he's actually even a little more straightforward. Romans 13, verse 1, he says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, and for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So Paul is even more direct about we need to understand that we need to respect government authority. Now, I think this is definitely a topic that is relevant today, right? I mean, all of us are staying in our homes uh, because of the direction of the government. Uh, we're, not, we're only allowed to go out uh, for essential trips, like to maybe the grocery store or the pharmacy. Uh, and even if we do go out, we're required to wear masks. And there's been cases of people being cited that have, you know, not gone along with these guidelines. And I think even many grocery stores, if you're not wearing a mask, won't let you in. You know, and these may have started out as guidelines a few weeks ago, but now they're actually mandates from our government that we have to obey. So how do we feel about that? Uh, you know, do you agree with that? Do you don't agree with that? Uh, do you see the wisdom in what they're trying to do? Or do you like, nah, this is overblown. There's not really, I don't really, 
I don't really think what they're doing is right. I don't agree with their thinking. Do you think maybe they've gone too far, encroaching on our freedoms? Uh, do you even think the government has a right to put these different guidelines and restrictions in place? You know, in verse 13, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, you know, Peter says in verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. And he also says in verse 15, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. You know, Peter says we should obey authority because for God's sake and because it is God's will. You know, we have to trust that these things are part of God's plan. That God is asking us to submit to the authorities of the government because ultimately God knows that it's for our own good. And we have to trust that God is, knows what he's doing and that he, it is his will and he has a plan. But we can still struggle with this. You know, I think it's hard for us, or it can't be hard for us to submit to authority no matter where it comes from, government or not. I mean, the truth is we don't like being told we can't do something. You know, have you ever felt like an overwhelming desire to do something just because somebody said don't do it? Um, in, our way, in ways, our natural inclination a lot of times is to resist authority. You know, and regardless of how we feel about our governing authorities, God expects us to obey no matter what our opinion or our feelings are. He calls on us to respect the authority of the government of the land. And he expects us to obey, obey the laws of the land and have respect for those who govern us. Doesn't matter who the authority it is. Doesn't matter who's running the government at the time. Doesn't matter if they're good at their job. Doesn't matter if they're trustworthy or, you know, if we think they're doing a good job. It doesn't matter. We are still called to respect their authority. You know, think about it. Remember when Peter wrote this letter to the Christians, they were under the authority of the Roman government at the time. And at the time this letter was written, which is about 64 to 65 AD, the emperor of Rome was Nero. Now, a lot of people may have heard of Nero, but usually not for a good reason. He wasn't one of your better emperors. You know, popular, he's popularly known as, you know, when you hear about Nero, he's fiddled while Rome burned. You know, so there was a great fire in Rome. And, you know, the legend is that he was, you know, partying while it was going on or fiddling while it was going on, even though the fiddle wasn't invented then. A lot of historians actually believe that Nero started the fire because he wanted to wipe out all these buildings so that later he could come through and build himself a great palace. And also, after the great fire, Nero blamed the Christians. He said they were the ones that started the fire and used it as an excuse to begin persecuting the Christians and having them arrested and killed and you know, put in the arena and things like that. So this is the leader of the government at the time that Peter was writing these things. So keep that in mind. So why does God want us to respect authority? Now this is, you know, obviously a big topic that, you know, we could discuss a lot. But I just want to share a couple of things that, that I would say is, you know, some of the reasons that God really wants us to have a respect for authority. You know, I would say that we, would, we need authority to really have a stable and orderly society. We have to have rules. And we have to have a system in place that can enforce those rules. Otherwise, our society would be anarchy. We would have no society. It would be chaos. 
And the only way to realistically maintain a society is for everyone to have a respect of authority, respect of the governmental authority. Now, sometimes the rules they make make sense. Sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes they're easy to follow. Sometimes they're not so easy to follow. Sometimes, and hopefully most of the time, the laws are fair. Sometimes they're not going to be fair. But no matter what it is, we have to respect the laws of the land or society will break down. You know, another reason I think God wants us to respect authority is on a more spiritual level. Because I believe God wants us to learn how to respect authority because ultimately it will help us learn to respect him and to have a fear for him. But we have to be taught to respect authority. I don't think, like I said earlier, I don't think it comes naturally for most of us. You know, I'm a parent of four kids, uh, three boys, one girl, and who are all now adults, all out of the house. So uh, I'm grateful that we don't have to homeschool them. And, uh, you know, I pray for and feel for you parents that have your kids at home and have to learn how to homeschool them. So fortunately for us, our kids are out of the home. But, you know, as a parent, when we were raising our kids, Mary and I both felt like one of our big jobs as a parent was to teach our kids to have a respect for authority. It started with us teaching them how to respect us as their parents, you know, by disciplining them when they didn't respect our authority or when they disobeyed us or when they disrespected us. So we had to teach them to respect us, first of all, as parents. We're the parents, you're the kids, we have authority over you. It moved on then to teaching them how to respect their teachers when they were in school. You know, we were concerned that they get good grades. Obviously, we want them to do well in school. But we were also just as equally or maybe, maybe even more concerned with their citizenship grades. So I don't know if they still do that today, but when our kids were in school, they would come home with their report card every quarter, and it would have a grade in mathematics, for example, A for how they did, but also have a citizenship grade. And sometimes our kids would come home with like a C or something like that on citizenship. So we would have to have a conversation. Why did you get a C in citizenship? Most often it was one of our kids who remained nameless um, that would have a lower citizenship score. And so we'd have to talk to them uh, about why they got that. And usually it was because they were talking in class. So we had to teach them to have respect for their teachers, respect for the authority of the teachers. We, in, we emphasized the same thing and when they were in sports with their coaches, that type of thing. You know, and I think all this training helped them grow up and be responsible adults. It helped them when they were in the working world and they had to have jobs, learn to respect their authorities. Because I believe that if our kids don't have a healthy respect of authority, they're going to have a hard time in life. They're going to have a hard time keeping a job and they're going to have a lot of different conflicts. Uh, and ultimately, they're going to have a really hard time learning to respect the authority of God. So really, I see this as a spiritual issue. If we don't have a fear of God, we don't have a respect for the authority of God, we're never going to submit to the Lordship of Christ. We're never going to turn our life over to him and allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life. And consequently, if we don't do that, we're never going to be saved. So... This is a few of my thoughts about why God wants us to respect authority. And I said it may be a controversial topic, and so you know you may have a different opinion. 
but hopefully I've given you something to think about. The next I want to look at the second half of this, uh, of this passage, starting in verse 18. So let's read in verse 18 through 25. Peter says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. So in the second passage here that we're going to look at, I think, you know, Peter follows a similar theme of respect, uh, but it applies it on a more personal level. He goes from, you know, the big picture of respecting authority in the government to talking about respecting authority in our relationships. He references slaves and masters, and I think the application for us today would be to someone who may have a position of authority over us, for an example, our employer. And he also talks a lot about how we should respond to suffering or when someone treats us unfairly or, un, or unjustly. Now, this could be in an employer-employee relationship, but also it could be any type of relationship where someone treats us unfairly or treats us in a way that they shouldn't. How are we to respond? Now, I think as we read through this, it's easy to see that Peter says we need to respond righteously. No matter how we are provoked, no matter what happens to us, we need to respond the way Jesus did. Jesus is our example. And I think we can all agree that that's a high standard. When you think about some of the things that you may have had to put up with and to still re respond righteously, that's a challenge. It's even more of a challenge when you look at what Peter says in verse 12 in the same chapter. Drop up or go up to uh, verse 12 where Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we're called to live lives, live such good lives, that even when people are looking for something to accuse us of, they can't find anything. You know, how challenging is that? Uh, you know, have you ever had somebody deliberately insult you or treat you disrespectfully and then sit back and wait to see what you would do? And if you do anything remotely unrighteous, they say, I thought you were a Christian. You know, that's hard. That's hard to go through, isn't it? And when we go through those things, we might say, well, you know, I, I understand Jesus was able to do that, but he was Jesus, right? Um, it's too hard for me. You know, my faith is not that strong yet. Uh, this is an impossible task. You know, if someone disrespects me, I'm coming back at him. You know, and I can understand us feeling that way. But remember, Jesus was created just like we were. He can relate 
to those feelings. He can relate to the difficulties that we have to face. He went through the same things, but he was able to come through them without sinning. He was able to respond righteously every single time. So how did he do that? What can we learn from Jesus that will help us get through those interactions or those challenges with a godly attitude like Jesus did? Well, let me point you to verse 23. Verse 23 says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I see that is a tremendous lesson for us. Jesus was able to endure unfair treatment without sinning because he entrusted himself to God. Jesus knew that the way to deal with things that were against him unfairly was to trust in God. He knew the only person that he had to please was God. He knew that man really had no control over him, and so he entrusted himself to God. You know, it says here that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So God is the one that judges us, but he also is the one that judges us justly. And I think we need to realize God is the only judge that really matters in our life. We only have to be concerned with what God thinks of us. His opinion is all that matters. We don't have to respond to insults because God knows what is true. And he knows what is not true. We don't have to retaliate because God will take care of us. We just have to put ourselves in God's hands. We don't have to make threats because we are going to allow God to make the truth known and he will decide what needs to be done. He also says that God judges justly. God's judgment in any situation is always just and fair. You know, I've always liked in this book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 17, look at that with me. In verse 17 in chapter 1, he says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. You know, I've always noticed that word impartially. God judges us impartially. You know, so I think in our world today, we, we can't really understand what it means to be judged impartially. We are unable to judge people impartially. And consequently, people are, we are not able to be judged by other people impartially. All of us have a bias. We can't get away from it. If we're human, we're going to have some type of a bias. All of us are going to be influenced in some way by our upbringing, whether it was good or bad. Our family of origin, as we've talked about a number of times, influences how we look at things. By our own experiences, whether they were good experiences, and that influences us one way, or whether we went through a bad experience, and now we look at things a certain way because of that. We're influenced by who we've been taught by over the years. And remember, those that have taught us different things have had their own personal bias. They can't get away from it either. We even are influenced by our own personal thoughts and how we've thought about things and our own reason. And so we've come to different conclusions. And so we're influenced by that. We're influenced by how we look at a situation. 
you know, with the facts that we have available to us at the time, which may or may not be the full picture, but it's, we, we are influenced by what we know and what we can see. You know, so all these different influences and different biases make it impossible for us to judge someone impartially or for us to be judged impartially by someone here on earth. But see, praise be to God, God is not bound by any of that. We're going to be judged by God and he's going to be able to judge us impartially. He knows everything. He knows exactly what happened in a certain situation. He's in possession of all the facts. Not only that, he knows exactly what everybody involves motives were, whether they were good motives or bad motives. He knows all of that. He knows what led up to a certain conflict or a certain situation. He knows what all the ramifications are going to be. No matter what it is, his judgment is always going to be just and fair because God can truly be the only one who can judge everything impartially. So, when we go through challenging times, we're, we're learning here, Jesus is pointing us to God. He says, entrust yourself to him who judges justly. This is how we can be successful and victorious, no matter what situation we're in. This is how we can learn how to do what is right, regardless of how we are treated. This is how we can learn not to react in an unrighteous way, no matter what the provocation we don't have to let someone else's sin against us cause us to sin or give us an excuse to sin. We just need to put our trust in God. You know, as we face this crisis today, I think that the call for all of us is to trust God. And I think we've heard that many times in the last few weeks. We have to put our trust in God. He's in control. We don't know the purpose of all this. We don't know how he's going to work in through all this. But we're going to trust that he is in control, that he is a good God, and that he is going, that we're going to be better for it in the long run in some way. And I really think through this crisis, our trust in God is being tested. You know, we're, we're being tested by the things we're going through. Is God really, what's going on here? And I think it's important for us, and I want to start closing here, to remind us of who God really is. Remind us of who the God that we're trusting in is. Don't let these struggles affect how you look at God or your picture of God. We need to remember that God is awesome, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-loving, that he is all-powerful. He is worthy of our trust. We have to believe that he is God, that he is a good God, and that he loves us just as much as he ever has. I even think it would be good this week, if you have the chance, to look up some scriptures that talk about the characteristics of God, that talk about who God is. Let the Bible define for you who God is. I recommend Psalms 103. It's one of Mary's favorites. It's Mary's favorite psalm. It's a great psalm that talks a lot about who God is and what his characteristics are. Don't let the fear and uncertainty and the insecurity we might be facing going through this challenging time change your view of God. Let the Bible define for you who God really is. You know, I want to transition now 
to prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. And really this whole second half of the chapter that we've been looking at really leads up to the Lord's Supper in a very powerful way. Let's look over in just a couple of verses in 1 Peter 2 here. Let's look at verse 23 through 25. It says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, as we talk about how to deal with suffering and how to handle persecution and how to handle being treated unfairly, you know, Jesus is our example. He can totally relate to all that, like it says right here. And I think his motivation in getting through all that was to please God, but I also think he fought through those temptations because he knew how much we needed him to be a perfect sacrifice. You know, it says, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You know, Jesus knew he had to be a perfect sacrifice. He couldn't give in to sin when he was tempted. He couldn't sin when he was provoked. He knew that he had to be sinless and he had to be a perfect sacrifice when he went to the cross because he knew that only by his perfect sacrifice could our sins be forgiven. That the power of sin that rules our lives could be broken because of his sacrifice. And that now, as Christians, as disciples, we can have the power of the Holy Spirit to live the righteous way that we're being called in this chapter. He also says, by his wounds, you have been healed. You know, we've been healed in our hearts by the wounds of Jesus. You know, our hearts were damaged because of sin in our life. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus and because of his blood, those results of sin have given us a new heart. When we become Christians, we are given a new heart. We are a new creation. And our hearts are healed. And I also believe that when we receive that healing from Jesus in our hearts, it helps us to learn to forgive those who sin against us. It can help us learn to love those who have insulted us, who treat us badly. It can help us love people the way that Jesus loved people. Since we have been forgiven, we can now forgive others. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.